Blog Talk Radio. Quiet, please. Welcome to Rex Sykes Movie Beat, conversations with filmmakers where we discuss everything film and television. Here on Movie Beat, you'll learn what to do and what not to do when it comes to making movies and TV. We will talk to everyone behind the scenes and in front of the camera, and I will provide you with guests and information that you're going to want to have, whether you're a filmmaker or a fan. And so now let's move behind the scenes at Movie Beat. First, let me tell you the chat room is open. Let me also tell you two guests today. First up, director Jeffrey Goodman. This will be part three on self-distribution and festival runs. You're going to want to listen to this one. You're going to want to make sure that you pay attention. The other two parts are at rexsykes.com, at the official website, rexsykes.com, which you can also subscribe to by clicking on the RSS feed there at the welcome page. But in the interviews blog under Jeffrey Goodman's name is, is his biography. You go to interviews, you click on Jeffrey Goodman, uh, you have to look because it's in there, but you look for Jeffrey Goodman's name, click on on that link, it'll open up a biography page, and within that are two uh, or three bold links. One is a live link that you might be at right now, and the other ones are parts one and two. And you're certainly going to want to hear what Jeffrey has to say overall. He's the director of Last Lullaby. He's a fabulous guest. We're glad to have him back, so he'll be coming up in just a few minutes. And then uh, about 90 minutes from now will be uh, Roberta Monroe. She's this a Sundance Film Festival programmer for short films. She's probably seen more short films than anyone in the world. She's the, the go-to person when it comes to how not to make a short film. That's her book and her workshop, and she consults and advises people all over because uh, if anyone knows about short films, uh, it is Roberta. So you're going to want to tune back in uh, to listen to uh, Roberta and uh, she is a fabulous wealth of information. And if you make shorts, uh, I, yeah, I was at a dinner party last night, and somebody said, you know, you recommended this book, and I read it, and he was thrilled uh, from the information he's found in the book uh, that Roberta has um, written. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Movie Beat's really designed to uh, be a resource for you, and so that's why I connect you up with professionals who are making it happen. If you're listening to this live, go ahead, friend us, make us a favorite. Please leave comments on the show. Whenever you do that, uh, right there at the site, uh, it helps uh, make the show more popular. It helps the reach to uh, other people who may or may not know about the show. So please do that, as well as with the podcast, because all of these interviews are available by podcast. Go ahead, when you subscribe or when you download a podcast, rate and review it right there at the site at iTunes. Uh, again, because it helps make the show more popular. We reach people that uh, we wouldn't otherwise. And I really do appreciate it when you uh, retweet about my guests, especially before, you know, so that other people can tune in. When you call people or email or post it on your Facebook walls or you comment on my wall or whatever, but when you help spread the word in advance of the interview so that more people can tune in, I really appreciate that. Let them know the chat room is open and that there's a place that they can learn what to do and what not to do when it comes to making movies, TV, video games, and, and uh, web series. All right. Uh, and, and then after 
the show is over. If you enjoyed the show, again, make the comments and then tweet about it. Say, hey, you know, I listened to so and so on uh, Rex Sykes Movie Beat today, and you got to tune in too. If you really like the interviews and if these have been of benefit and value to you, please retweet about them, post about them, and spread the word. I appreciate it, but. Most of all, because this is a free resource. This is absolutely free to you. It costs you nothing to tune in. Uh, it costs you nothing to get the podcast. Uh, so if if you're benefiting, if you like them, if you're getting good information, uh, then go ahead and share that and let others find out as well. And, and that uh, uh, benefits not only me. It benefits the show. It benefits the guests. Um, you can subscribe to the official Rex Sykes Movie Beat uh, website, as I told you. You can also become a friend of Rex Sykes Movie Beat at uh, Facebook, or you can go to my profile and, uh, and, and check that out. Anyway, I want to turn my attention to uh, uh, Jeffrey now and bring Jeffrey on to the show. Uh, let's see here. Jeffrey, how are you doing? I'm great. Uh, would you care to catch us up just a little bit between the last time we spoke? We spoke you know, about financing, we spoke about producing, directing movies, and we're going to talk about distribution, self-distribution in festivals today. But is there anything from the last time to today that you would care to uh, to uh, point out or, or bring up? No, I just, um, you know, if people enjoy today, I would, I would encourage them to go back and hear part one, part two. Uh, I think in each interview we're going to cover significantly different ground, um, so... You know, I just encourage people uh, to tune into all three um, if today is enjoyable. And I'm looking forward to today because I think it will be quite different from what we've done up to this point. Awesome. And uh, and I'm sure there's there's going to be a fourth. <laughs> and that would be great. I would, I would love to do it. We'll continue uh, until Jeffrey tires of me. Uh, all right. So, uh Let's let's start out. Let's just start out with the festival run on Last Lullaby because you did uh, you learned quite a bit, I bet, and um, and I'd like you yeah. to tell me what you did well and what what you do differently. Yeah, definitely. Well, um, just so everyone knows, I mean, we ended up uh, playing 19 different film festivals with the Last Lullaby um, all over the world. Probably the, the farthest we were were uh, we were in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. Um, we premiered wow. the film at AFI Dallas uh, late March of 2008, and then from there went to 18 other film festivals. I was in attendance, I, I believe, at 17 of the 19. The only reason I wasn't at the other two is because we were screening at two festivals on simultaneous dates. I couldn't be in both places at once. But, um, you know, film festivals were were a, a great thing for the last little by. Um, number one, um, we generated a lot of press. Um, so, I mean, that was good just in terms of spreading the word for the film. Um, you know, I got to have a lot of interaction with different people, so just hearing what they liked, what they maybe didn't like, um, you know, that was that was educational for me as well because this was my first feature this was really my first significant festival run with a film of mine so um being in front of that many audiences was a was a new experience for me um you know and 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 i read uh, there's a there's a couple of books i guess out there on film festivals one i really like is chris gore's book ultimate film festival survival guide i think he's he's into his third fourth or fifth edition um, I really like, uh, in fact, I don't love the most recent edition as much as there's one that's kind of got like a bluish red cover that I prefer more than the one with the yellow cover. But anyway, I remember reading that and it was really helpful um, as we were preparing to, to, to start our festival run. And I remember reading an interview in there and one person said something along the lines of, 
you know, at every festival, um, there are four things you can you can achieve. And, um, you know, I don't entirely agree with this, but it was helpful. And the, the things were you can get you can get reviewed, um, you can win an award, you can meet someone uh, who ends up becoming your, your representation, either manager or agent, or number four, you can meet a distributor. And, you know, if I achieve one of those four at every festival, then I feel like it was a, a successful festival. And for me, that just kind of helped me manage my expectations and, and, and sort of have a goal each time we, we went to a festival. Um, because I think otherwise it can be a little overwhelming. You've got people tugging on you in all directions. You've got a million different things you can do, and it's hard to kind of focus otherwise. So uh, that was that was good advice for me, and I, I kind of followed that as we went into the run. Um, uh, you know, things we did well, things we didn't do well. Um, you know, the thing that I would probably change uh, first and foremost, and, and this sort of has changed really since we, we premiered Lullaby, is... Um, you know, I would have a DVD ready to sell of the last lullaby, the date of our very first uh, festival screening, um, and and I would continue to sell DVDs after every screening at every festival um, because you know that's probably when interest is at an all-time high around your film, and that's a lot of money that I, I kind of lost out on uh, for my partners, um, and I would certainly do that differently next time out. You know, the reason I didn't do it wasn't 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 as much ignorance as, you know, kind of the, the, the global feeling at the time was if you're selling DVDs of your film, then distribu- distributors aren't going to be interested in it. But, you know, that's really changed from everything I've read, from everyone I've spoken to, from everything I've heard, is that distributors now understand that filmmakers are doing this, and they actually encourage it because it's just it's, 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 it's building greater awareness around the film and uh, building greater value. So ultimately when the distributor comes in, and put your film out, um, there's more of a demand for it. So, um, you know, that's the biggest thing I would do differently. Um, you know, would I go to 19 film festivals again on the next film? I don't know. Um, uh, you know, the, I guess the only other thing, uh, the main thing I want to say about it is, you know, I, I think I used to think naively that, you know, film festivals were purely qualitative judgments, you know, that the best films get into the best festivals. And, um, you know, I now feel like, you know, that is partially true, but, you know, connections certainly help, too. It helps to know the festival directors. It helps to know people. And, uh, you know, like any business, you know, there there are some politics involved. So, um, you know, you need to use all the connections, use all the contacts you have to try and get your film into the, the very best festivals you can, you can get it into. I, I want to follow up on that, you know, whether you would do, like, 19. Some people think you should – you should do every festival you can, and other people seem to think you should do a few, you know, and and maybe only the really important ones. Do you have any thoughts on that? Um, Given your experience, you know, I, I think at a certain point, um, you know, there can be too many. I mean, only because you know, it's it's. It, I guess it's a matter of uh, taste. Um, you know, I want to be there as much as I can. So if my film's playing you know, three different places every week, obviously I can't be everywhere. Um, so, and I mean, I know there are films that have played in 50, 7,500 festivals. Um, you know, I'm not necessarily against that. For me, it wouldn't be my preference just because I do like to be there and uh, be in front of people representing my film. Um, y- you know, in terms of only playing the big festivals and not the smaller festivals, uh, you know, I had some of the some of the some of the best experiences I had, some of the best contacts I made were at some of the smaller festivals. So, 
uh, that I don't necessarily agree with. Um, you know, I met some amazing people. Um, I don't know if this is considered a small festival, but I remember being at uh, the Temecula Valley International Film Festival, which is, you know, about 30 to 45 minutes from Los Angeles. And, you know, there I met uh, Charles Burnett, first off, who uh, is a kind of filmmaker hero of mine. He did Killer of Sheep. I uh, also met, um, uh, I can't remember his last name, uh, but he's the dean of the film school at UCLA. He was there at the festival. And then um, Amy Dotson of um, IFP, uh, one of the main people at IFP, was there at the festival. So, uh, you know, some of the smaller festivals, just because they're, they're, they're not as much of a, of a circus, allow you um, interaction with people you might not be able to get FaceTime with otherwise. Um, same thing with the Bahamas. Um, you know, uh, what I wanted to say is a lot of what I'll discuss today uh, I covered some of it last year on a weekly blog I did for Movie Maker Magazine. Anyone can access that by going to moviemaker.com and um, looking on the right side of the homepage under blogs, and there's a blog entitled Adventures in Self-Releasing, and it talks all about my uh, self-releasing efforts for the last lullaby. But the only reason I got that blog is because I went to the Bahamas Festival with my film. The, the head of Movie Maker Magazine was in the audience for one of my screenings, liked what I had to say and said, you know, we'd really love for you to do a blog for the magazine. So in that sense, you know, I, I can only say positive things and encourage people to attend some of the smaller festivals too. But it makes a lot of sense. It does make a lot of sense. I, I guess, you know, I think most people hope that through a festival, especially at a buyer's market, they're going to get a release as opposed to just a fan-based festival. They're going to get, uh, you know, their film picked up and distributed. Uh, in some fashion, and 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 I'm sure they all see huge dollar signs and hope to make you know hundreds of thousands, if not more, money. And um, the reality of that today has changed quite significantly. But also, um, just the just the financial output to attend you know multiple festivals could be great. So, you know, if you're traveling around on your dime as opposed to, you know or on the movie's dime as opposed to someone bringing a, a filmmaker in. Um, you made the point, you know, I, I wish I would have had the DVD available for the festivals, you know, because that's money that you left out on. Um, but also, uh, you know, travel expenses, what about stuff like that? But but at the same time, I heard you say, you know, you had great experiences and you got the blog and... and um... Yeah, I mean, uh, we fortunately I had a producer who had the foresight to know how much the festival run was going to cost us. So he, you know, he had a line item in the budget, and we cool. fortunately okay. had money set aside for it. Um, but you're you're absolutely right. I mean, it, it it adds up quickly. I mean, some of the festivals will, you know, in an ideal world, the festival will both fly you there and house you. Um, some will just do one or the other, and then some will do none. Um, and you're, you know, like I said, you're totally right. I mean, it, it adds up quickly. Um, no doubt about it. Well, I also uh, appreciate the fact that you said that your producer had, a, you know, a line item in the in the budget, meaning that, you know, during pre-production, you're thinking, you know, post-production marketing, you're thinking, you know, festivals and what will this cost, and it's built into the it's built into the budget as opposed to getting a movie made and then going, okay, now what, you know, yeah, we spent all our money and now how do we get it out there? Yeah, which is something I want to discuss later um, because I've got a line item in the budget for my next film to do a service deal, and we can talk about that later. But um, yeah, it's a significant amount of money that I have set aside should we need to go that route with the next film. 
Now, let me ask you this. I loved Lullaby. It's a very tight film, and everybody that I've shown it to, I've shown it at a dinner party and things like that, and we've screened it, you know, it, it just absolutely captivated by it. They, they, they uh, applaud you incredibly. I mean, I, you know, I wish you were at the dinner party that I was at when we showed it because, I mean, they're just so mesmerized by, by what you did. And I don't mean that to blow smoke at you. It's, it's just literally what happened. Um, but did you have that same kind of, uh, you know, success everywhere? And, and maybe or maybe not. But, you know, in, in terms of festivals, uh, did, did, you know, some people receive the film really well and others go, yeah, you know, okay, whatever. I mean, what, what kind of experience, I don't know. I mean, what kind of experience did you have? Sure. No, it's a great question. I mean, you know, I I think it's impossible to make a film that pleases everyone, obviously. And right. I mean, there's no doubt about it. There are people out there that don't like a lullaby. Um, sure. But by and large, you know, the, the, the reviews were very positive. By and large, the reception at festivals uh, was very positive. I read something, in, once again, in Chris Gore's book that I thought was very useful. Um, it was about Q&As because... You know, when you walk into, uh, you know, most of the time, after a while, I didn't watch the film anymore. And so when you walk into the theater after this group of strangers watch your movie, you're not really sure what sort of room you're walking into. Is it is it a friendly or unfriendly one? And uh, he makes a comment in his book that, you know, you shouldn't worry as a filmmaker because 95% of the people that didn't like your movie, they've already left. They didn't stay around for the Q&A. So you're walking into mostly a, a convivial uh, uh, atmosphere, um, and that was very helpful for me because I mean that that uh, diminished some of the some of the fear that uh, might be associated with doing Q and A's. Wow, that's that's a, a, an interesting point, uh, and 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 good advice to have. Uh, so so let's talk about this. Let's or or let me let you close out the discussion on festivals. Uh, any anything further or? or anything we might come back to and revisit in this topic? Well, I mean, yeah. I don't want to rush this off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, everyone talks about, you know, your festival premiere for your film being kind of like your virginity, and you should guard it and and use it wisely. Um, and, you know, I, I believe that. Um, and so, you know, I would just encourage people, you, you know, uh, do apply to the top tier festivals. Do apply to the festivals that might really make a ma- really make a difference. The festivals that do attract distributors and where you might be able to make a deal for your film. I mean, apply to those first, and um, and and hold, give yourself some time to see if you get into one of those. Because if you do, it'll make a world of difference for your film. And you know, it is true for the most part. I mean, if you if you premiere, um, you know, I live in Shreveport, Louisiana. If you premiere your film at we don't have a film festival, but in theory, if you premiered your film at Shreveport Film Festival and then tried to get into a Toronto or Sundance, it, you, you, you probably wouldn't. It'd probably disqualify you. So I would encourage people to use their premiere uh, wisely and, 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 and try and give yourself some time to get into one of the top-tier festivals if you can. And then if you can't, you know, uh, pursue some of the next-tier uh, festivals, but at least give yourself uh, a window of opportunity to, to explore the festivals that might really matter. Again, great advice, great advice. Start at the top and work your way down through them rather than doing anything and finding out you've limited your chances. Exactly. Awesome. Um, let's then talk about why you chose to um, to self-distribute Lullaby. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, uh, and it was... It was pro- 
I mean, there's so many hard decisions you make on a film. It, it, it ranks up there with one of the three or four most difficult ones I made in the whole process. Um, you know, I guess it came from a few different things. I mean, one, it came from, for those of you that have seen The Last Lullaby, even if you haven't, you know, on paper, The Last Lullaby is a Tom Sizemore hitman movie. Um, and he's the most recognizable name. I mean, although some people know Sasha Alexander as well, or Bill Smitrovich or Ray McKinnon, but uh, it's a Tom Sizemore hitman movie, which, um, you know, could for some people read as, uh, you know, a straight-to-DVD um, genre film uh, with with just some action pieces and not much depth and not much intelligence, and and, and that's all it is. And, you know, I always thought it was more than that, and... I mean, that's one reason I spent so long on the festival circuit with it is because I was trying to sort of um, uh, re, uh, rewire people's expectations, if you will. And, I mean, that's one reason um, I self-distributed it because if I had gone with the typical dis- distributor, at least the deals that I was seeing, that's probably what was going to happen for the film is that that's how it was going to be positioned in the marketplace. Um, it was going to probably just end up on a DVD shelf with, um, you know, a cover that didn't really represent the film the way I wanted it represented, and, and the film was gonna was gonna sort of be mismanaged. I thought so. I mean, that's one reason I decided to self-distribute. I mean, another reason, and maybe even a, a bigger reason, is you know I started tracking and uh, all these films that were at festivals with me and uh, directors I'd met during our festival run and and seeing what they were doing in terms of distribution and you know some films you know I'd gotten into some of the festivals we hadn't gotten into and won the awards we hadn't won yet you know and 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 maybe had gotten a more traditional distribution deal but you know we're 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 dying uh, and and falling into obscurity too and um I just felt like you know if if these films that had in many ways a lot more juice going into distribution were were just kind of falling into obscurity then um, God knows, um, you know, we were going to have a tough time too. So um, I think it was it was it was it was both, um, you know, worrying about how the film would be packaged with a traditional distributor, just given the film we had made, and you know, looking at some of my contemporaries and seeing what happened with them, and and and, and worrying that we would have an even worse fate. All right. Well, um, how I mean. It's, it's a big decision, you know what I mean? I mean, you're, you're saying, I'm not going to give this away, and uh, I'm going to, you know, try and do it myself. What, what's, like, the first step, you know, that you actually, what, you know, you, 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 you mentioned to me, you know, the strategy for going into the start of your run, how you came up with it, and what you hope to achieve, and stuff like that. But how, what's, what's really the, the, the step behind the step? You made your decision, and now where do you go? What do you do? How do you, how do you? Well, for me, I mean, the first hardest thing was, uh, I think I've mentioned in the past, I had 49 investors in the film, and uh, one thing I've done with them through the whole process is send them updates once a month uh, via email. And uh, so the first step in all of this was crafting an email and explaining to them why we were doing this. And, I mean, it was horrible. Uh, And I kind of, you know, battled with going this route for six to nine months before I finally made the decision uh, a lot of it is just because I, I wasn't looking forward to putting that email together and, and sending that out. Um, so that was the first thing. And then the next thing was, 
you know, well, okay, we're going to self-distribute. What does that mean? You know, what is our strategy? Just like, you know, I encourage people to have a festival strategy, a film festival strategy. You know, if you're going to distribute, you need to have a strategy too. So, you know, given what I knew at the time, you know, what what seemed like the best strategy for for our film? And uh, a lot of the decision um, was, was being dictated by a few things. Number one, I didn't have a lot of money left in the budget to do this. Um, number two, I didn't. I wasn't comfortable going back to the investors and asking for more money to do this. I had a friend who um, had done that maybe a year prior, had gone back to the investors for another seven hundred and fifty thousand um, dollars, and and kind of self distributed, and and it died, you know, after after maybe making you know twenty thousand dollars, and so uh, you know, I, I just wasn't comfortable. Um, going and asking for more money after I'd already raised a significant amount of money to make the movie. And so, you know, given that I didn't have a lot of money left and I wasn't willing to go ask for more money, um, I was kind of trying to figure out, well, what's a strategy um, that we can execute uh, given our financial situation? And so, you know, the first thing I did was I asked the investors, you know, I'm not going to ask you for, for for any more money, but will you allow me um, – to, to, to simply roll the money we make each week at the box office into the next week and, you know, to get their permission in doing that. And they said, that's fine. So, you know, if I opened in Milwaukee and I made $20,000 instead of that money going back to the investors, could I put it into our, our, our show the next week in Chicago? Um, and they were okay with that. So, you know, what I did initially is I, I kind of I, I floated some money out of my own pocket, you know, to to, to, to put together our opening, and we decided to open it in, in, in the Shreveport, Louisiana area because that's where uh, the majority of the investors had come from, and that's also where we had shot the film, and that's where I felt like we had had the, we had the greatest amount of interest. So um, I actually hired a PR firm uh, in, in, in the Shreveport area and put together like a four-month campaign to, leading up to our opening uh, here, which was at a, a big um, regal theater um, in Bozier City, which is a neighboring city to Shreveport. And our goal, you know, I came up with the goal. My goal for the opening weekend was we were aiming to be the independent film with the highest per-screen average in all of North America um, because, you know, I was an avid fan, still still am an avid fan of IndieWire, and IndieWire every week, you know, publishes um, a, a box office list, but they do it by per-screen average. And I thought, you know, if we could head that list, that might – um, get the attention of some distributors out there. So that was my goal, and I had kind of been tracking uh, what that number was each week, what what the film with the highest per screen average usually ended up doing, and I felt like we had a shot at achieving that. So um, uh, I'll kind of let you jump in, but that was that was sort of the jumping off point um, for 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 our self distribution. And well, how did it go? I mean, in other words, the, the, yeah. You know how did it work? I guess is well. Well, we actually um, it, it it was great um, in that we ended up as the second uh, the film with the second highest per screen average in all of North America that opening weekend. Uh, Jim Jarmusch's The Limits of Control beat us out by I think like a thousand dollars. So um, you know we had a great opening weekend, great opening week. Um, you know my my the other part of my strategy for for the film well a few things one. What I told the investors is I want to keep doing this as long as we're not going in the red. So, you know, as long as we're making enough each week to go for another week, let's keep doing it. Once 
we're losing money doing this, it really no longer makes sense. And so I didn't know if that was going to mean we were going to do it for one week, we were going to do it for 30 weeks. I just had no idea, just depending on how much box office we were able to do. So that was that was part of the strategy. Another part of the strategy was I only want to go into cities for one of two reasons, either because someone from the film is from that city or because we've already been to that city for a festival, had a successful festival, and now we're going back. And given that the, 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 that was the that was the goal and those were the guidelines, we decided not to initially open the film in New York or Los Angeles because we hadn't played a festival in either city and, 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 and no one on the film was really from either place. Um, and, you know, that kind of made our, our, our strategy somewhat unusual too because most films that decide to self-distribute usually open in either New York or Los Angeles. Um, so it went real well in the sense that um, you know we almost achieved our goal of being the independent film with the highest per screen average. Um, we ended up um, doing a run of ten weeks, which you know in some ways I, I don't even know what my expectations were in terms of weeks, but I feel like ten weeks is a pretty long time. Um, but you know we did not get a distribution deal from it, um, and. Um, yeah, uh, you know, uh, uh, we never played in, in in a big theater in New York or Los Angeles, or even in Chicago or San Francisco, um, and 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 so in that sense, you know, there's some disappointment too. Um, but I think we did the right thing given given our situation. And how did it all? Let me ask the question. But how did it all work out? for you in, in that regard, the ten-and-a-half-week one, rolling the money back into it, coming out the other side, you didn't get the distribution deal, uh, and, 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 and then now what? You know. But let me take a break, and then you can answer that on the other side of the break, okay? Okay, perfect. Awesome. Thanks, Jeffrey. Uh, we're talking with uh, director Jeffrey Goodman of The Lost Lullaby, and uh, a fascinating conversation it is about self-distribution, and there's more to come right after this. You're listening to RexSykes.com, R-E-X-S-I-K-E-S.com, Rexykes Movie Beat. Uh, upcoming guest today, in fact, in just about an hour from now, will be Roberta Monroe, a Sundance short film programmer, probably knows more about short films than anyone in the world. She is the go-to person. You're going to want to listen to Robert. Roberta Monroe. So if you're listening live and you can, uh, this show will end in about a half an hour, about 30 minutes from now. There'll be about a 30-minute break, and we'll come back with uh, Roberta Monroe, How Not to Make a Short Film. And uh, coming up is Kevin Sorbo. Kevin Sorbo uh, has a new movie out called What If. I spoke about it on the last uh, uh, radio show that I did. Uh, my children and I attended the What If premiere. I think it's a fabulous new movie. It's a, it was a fun movie, and Kevin will be here to talk about that and other things. Uh, Rick Overton is a comedian and an actor. He currently can be seen in uh, Dinner with Schmucks. I, if I got the name right, I forget. Uh, with uh, Steve Carell. And, uh, and so you're going to want to check out Rick Overton. John Gaspar has written five or six books on filmmaking, digital filmmaking, low-budget filmmaking, and made movies himself as a producer and director. He's up. Dan Cohen is a director. Uh, he's made a, a couple, a few very fascinating movies that you're going to want to hear from Dan. And he's a wealth of information. I enjoyed sitting and chatting and talking with Dan in Los Angeles not that long ago. Uh, and he was very you know, clear about, here's what I did, here's what I could have done better, here's what I shouldn't have done and things like that. John Keyes will be back talking about distribution. John has uh, 
has been a guest about five times now on Movie Beat or four times on Movie Beat, something like that. He will be returning. And uh, and then so will Joe Wilson coming back to talk more about Vampire Mob and web series. So uh, that's just a few of the guests who will be coming up next. And we're back with Mr. Jeffrey Goodman. So, Jeffrey. Yes. Um, so to answer your question, you know, how did it all shake out? Well, I mean, in the sense we, you know, we kind of didn't lose money. We didn't make money when it was all said and done. So, I mean, when we kind of hit zero, you know, after ten weeks, it was time to uh, call it quits. And some people might be going, "Well, that's idiotic. You spent ten weeks and made no money." Um, but what people have to understand, and, and what I've heard is, you know, nowadays, even for Hollywood, I mean, they they expect, for the most part, most of the time. For the for the theatrical run of their films to 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 lose money and and all they are is uh, are all they are and and they see the theatrical run as as a primary marketing tool for when they start to make real money which is on their on their cable deals and on their DVD deals so um, you know in that sense um, you know we were no different than your typical Hollywood film um, that was trying to use our theatrical run as a way to build awareness and exposure around our film. Um, so, and, you know, I mean, there's intangible things too that, um, you know, I, I learned a tremendous amount of, uh, about distribution and about exhibition and how the whole process works. And I kind of demystified it for myself, which I think, you know, moving forward will be, will be invaluable. And I don't know if I've said it on this show, but one thing I like to say a lot is the way I kind of look at filmmaking is as a three-part process, you know, there's raising the money, there's making the film, and then there's getting the movie out into the world. And, you know, for a long time, uh, all I really cared about was doing part two. I just wanted to make the movie. I wanted someone to bring me the money and then take it off my hands when the movie was done and put it out into the world. And, you know, nowadays, and I do think the world of independent film is changing. And nowadays, I think, unless you, as an independent filmmaker, have a certain uh, understanding of part one and part three as well, I, I don't think you're an independent filmmaker in this day and age, I think you're still a dependent filmmaker. And so, you know, I think in kind of going through that process and self-distributing, it, 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 it's made me a little less fearful of what that last leg of the process is like. Well, I think, I mean, if I had to put two cents into this discussion at this point, I think that um, to have made a movie for $2 million, to have got it out in theaters for 10 weeks, to have toured the... Uh, 19 different festivals, 17 that you actually attended, I guess. Uh, but they have 19 um, film festivals that uh, you got to participate in some way. And to come out at the other side without having lost money uh, and getting to do what you love and getting the educational experience in the same, in, at the same time. And you're now you know, raising money for a second feature film and embark you're, you've embarked on that um you know it sounds like a tremendous win and i guess if someone is only focused on making dollars as the end result of their production then you can say well okay you broke even uh, you didn't make the money you know and it would be disappointing and certainly it can be disappointing anyway but what you said about the intangibles and 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 the ride and the run and the things that you've accomplished um are incredible frankly i mean they're incredible and a lot of people uh, can't say that they've done that, and other people can. But uh, you know, it is it is uh, you, you know you're they're doing it, and uh, and the fact that you're doing you're beginning your second one is uh, is is testimony that something you're doing is working right. You know what I mean? I mean, and so that's that's very cool. That's why I appreciate you being here and and sharing your experiences and and letting us know, 
you know, uh, the upside and the downside. Thank you. And let me, I appreciate you saying that. And let me, um, I just want to clarify for your listeners because um, I, I think you understand this, but I'm not sure they will. Uh, when I say we, we, you know, we didn't lose money, I mean, we didn't lose money on our theatrical run. We haven't made all the money back uh, that the film cost to make, um, but we didn't lose money on the actual theatrical run. So I just wanted to make that clear to everyone. Sure. So. They're not like, well, that's how much your movie costs, and you've already gotten all that money back for your movie because we haven't yet. Right, but you're in the process of that. We're we're hoping to. We're 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 trying very 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 hard. Sure. So what what um, uh, to clarify even further? What what are the things that you think really worked well in the theatrical run? One thing that I think worked amazingly well was getting the theater to have tickets. Uh, for me to sell in advance. And so I think they had tickets up on the website that I could start moving uh, three or four weeks before uh, the actual premiere. And, I mean, what I would do, and I think it's legal, I guess it's legal, uh, what I would do is I would go to the go to the theater where we premiered, and I'd go buy, um, let's say I'd buy 20 tickets for every single screen. We had 15 screens the opening weekend. And I was going to do, I did Q&As for all 15. So we had five screens on Friday, five on Saturday, five on Sunday. I introduced all 15 screens and did Q&As for all 15. So I would go to the box office and buy 20 tickets for every screening and have them on my person. And then I'd be out here doing all these promotional events, building up to the premiere, and people would be like, oh, well, you know, are tickets for sale yet? Yes, they're for sale, and as a matter of fact, I have them right here. And I'd be selling tickets out at dinner or out at parties or out at speaking events. And um, the, the, the premiere was almost entirely sold out. I'm talking about all 15 screens almost before um, the weekend began. And wow. um, that, was, you know, that, was a, that was a great thing for us to do. Um, you know, and it, 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 wasn't, it, it took a lot of the element of surprise out of it. I think, you know, with a lot of these film openings, whether you're with a, a traditional distributor or self-distributing, I think, you know, you do all these promotional efforts, but then you kind of hope for the best. It's like, you know, I've been out there tooting the horn, and I've been out there, you know, beating the bush, and, uh, you know, I think I've built up a lot of buzz and interest, but God, I hope people show up when, um, you know, when, when, when we actually have the screenings. And this way, I kind of took that element of, of, of unknown and element of surprise out of the equation, and I think that was a great thing. That is fantastic, and 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 what I really appreciate about that is I have I have been involved in in putting on live events since I was fourteen, I think I it was maybe fifteen or sixteen, and uh, and trying to fill seats either for concerts or for movie events or for seminars or whatever it might have been, and what you just said there is is and I see this happen so many times with so many events and so many people and so many premieres. They go, you know, we've we've blanketed the area, we've done all this stuff, we've got all the legwork now, and then they sit back and hope someone shows up at the at the event, <laughs> yeah. and a few people trickle in. You you can't consider a seat sold until the seat is sold. So if you're out there actively selling the tickets, and they don't show up, well, that's their problem. But at least the ticket has been sold. You need to know that you got a butt in the seat before the doors open, or most of the time you're going to be sorrowfully disappointed. And, right and 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 to go back to you know one of our goals was to be the 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 independent film with the highest per screen average and just so people understand it, it doesn't actually matter how many people show up um it's how many right. tickets are sold so you know I could have every ticket sold and have one person at each screen and all that's reported is how many tickets were sold 
Absolutely. Well, that that used to be in the publishing world. That used to be that people would buy up all the books. You know, somebody would buy up their own books and and put them uh, over the top on the bestseller list, kind of thing. You know, and and the public oh, never actually, yeah, and the public never actually saw it, but the books were sold. Yeah. So. No. Exactly. Same thing. Same concept. Exactly. Now we should point out, though, because you did say, well, I think it's legal that anyone who wants to try that should should just check with their local laws. I know, for example, in the state of Wisconsin, what they consider scalping is selling a ticket anywhere within 500 feet of the event door. So if you're between the door and 500 feet and you're trying to sell a ticket, even if it's below value, ticket face value, or the same, it's called scalping and it's, and it's an arrestable offense. On the other hand, if you're 502 feet away from the door, uh, is you know, or I mean, and I know this because a cop sold me tickets. The chief of police sold me tickets. I said, "Isn't this illegal?" He goes, "No, no, because we're 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 not we're not near the venue." <laughs> <laughs> so that's how I checked into scalping laws here, you know. But uh, but uh, so you know, and so that's that's really cool, though. I mean, and if you've got permission to do that, how do you? I guess how do you work best with theaters? I mean, how do you how do you get your movie into a theater first off, and how do you how do you approach them? You go, I've got this movie, it's got Tom Sizemore. What do you do? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, you know, to to make it very simple, I mean, there's really two only two different kinds of arrangements you're going to have with a theater. You're going to either do what's called four walling, which basically means you pay the theater an upfront fee, and in theory, you're 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 simply renting the theater oh, for a certain wall. amount of time. And then in a four wall, you get you know after you pay that rental fee, you get 100 percent of the of the box office. You get no concessions, but you get 100 percent of the box office. So that's four walling, and then the other um, the other arrangement you you typically see is is what's called you know doing doing a term deal, uh, and that basically means that um, you're paying nothing up front, but you're you're coming up with some sort of uh, share percentage on the box office. You know it could be 50-50, it could be 60-40 in favor of the theater, 60-40 in favor of you, um, and you know it all depends on you know how how much traction the theater perceives your movie to have. If you're if, if the theater perceives that your movie is completely unknown and it's a huge risk, I mean they're not going to give you a term deal. They're going to they're going to they're going to put the they're going to put the burden on you and say, well, you believe in your film, then pay for it up front, and if you exceed our expectations, then great, you can start to rake in the box office once you've gotten over our nut, whatever it may be. Or if they think you've got more traction than that, then they may agree to a term deal. So. You know, it, 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 it it's very simple process. I mean, you just call up the theaters where you're interested in screening, saying, and and, and say, hey, you know, I've uh, I'm I've, I'm distributing this movie. Um, you know, here's who's in it. Here's what it's done. Here are the awards it's won. Um, here's where it's played so far. Um, I'm interested in bringing it to your theaters. It's something that you would consider. And what the first thing they'll probably say is, yeah, send me a copy of the movie. Let me take a look. Um, and then you know, they may come back to you with. We'll do it, but we'll only do it as a four wall, or we'll do it on terms, or we won't do it at all. And um, that's the way the process kind of worked for us. Um, and just so everyone knows, uh, you know, I four walled the very first week um, that screen at Regal um, because Regal wouldn't take my film any other way. They wouldn't take it on terms. And so uh, I did a four wall agreement that very first week with Regal, and then all the other screens for, for, the, for the subsequent weeks were, were done on terms. Is there a minimum guarantee on a term? Uh, which way? Which way? Oh no, to them. I've never, I've never, I never had to agree to one. I mean, that's a good question. I never had to agree to one. I mean, one thing I did have to do in at, in one or two places is there's no minimum guarantee on the terms, but I was obligated, for instance, to take out, let's say, a newspaper ad. 
um, in a city, and that was maybe a hundred to two hundred dollars. Um, and they wouldn't they wouldn't take my film, they wouldn't screen my film unless I at least agreed to spend the money on a on a on a newspaper ad. And there were some things like that, but I never had to do a minimum guarantee with terms. Okay, cool, very cool. And, That's a good um, question, though. And no, you know, no flack over you know competition for a screen. They, I mean, if they if they got it and they liked it, they just went okay. I mean, regardless. Yeah, of I mean, if they agreed, they agreed. And I mean, you know, a huge selling point for them was that I I, I went to I went to all these places where the film was screened. I agreed to do Q and A's after a certain amount of screenings. I was there signing posters, and uh, so I was there in person. I mean, that's something they couldn't really offer with any other films they were showing. Um, I mean, another thing I want to say is, um, and you know, I can't promise this will be everyone's experience, but. You know, I, I got every single penny I was owed for my self-distribution run, and it was very easy for me to get, and it was very transparent, and it was very above board. And you know, that part of the process, um, it was it was actually um, it, was, it was surprising in, in, in terms of how much integrity all these theater owners had, and how honest the process was. Wow, well, that's good to hear. Very good to hear. Yes, yeah, so I just want to say that to people who might be fearful of. You know, I'm going to go do this, and they're going to guarantee me this, and, and then they're never going to pay me a penny. I got every single penny I was owed. I got invoices, you know, from every single theater showing me exactly how many tickets were sold, you know, showing me the division, why I got the amount of money I got. And um, it was an extremely uh, transparent and honest process. Wow. That, again, that's just very good to hear. Now, we've got literally about, oh, 13 minutes left. Um any particular areas that you you felt could you could have done differently or would have done differently now that you've gone through the process in in absolutely in yeah unfortunately you know I learned a lot the hard way I mean first off uh, to be honest uh, I, I wouldn't self distribute again um, I don't I don't think you can possibly win um, when I say win I mean you know compete with the big boys compete with the studios it's just um, you know, I don't, no one self-distributing really, maybe unless you're Bob Bernie of New Market and, you know, you've been in the business for 25, 30 years and just really know it. I mean, no one, unless you're someone like that, is going to have the level of contacts with the theater, that, with the theaters and the level of know-how to, to really do it right. So, um, you know, first, first of all, I wouldn't self-distribute again. I, I, I guess I'm glad I did just because I learned a lot, but I certainly wouldn't do it on the next film or, I really would never do it again. What I would do, however, is, um, and I'm sure most people listening are familiar with this, is I would do a service deal, which is kind of a, a hybrid of a traditional distribution deal and self-distribution. And I'll just explain that real fast. I mean, self-distribution means, um, you know, I'm in charge as a filmmaker. My company and I am in charge of booking every theater, uh, making sure they have the print of the film, uh, doing everything we can to generate uh, marketing opportunities in each uh, area where we're bringing the film, uh, contacting media in each area, all of those things. Um, so that's that's the self-distribution scenario. Uh, a traditional distribution scenario is, I, I guess, an ideal scenario where, is, where, where, a traditional, where a distributor contacts you as the filmmaker and says, I'm going to give you a certain amount of money for your film, I'm going to take it off your hands, and I'm going to put it out into the world for you. And for the most part, your job will be done. I'll now take care of everything from this point forward. I'll take care of uh, scheduling the theaters where it's going to screen, uh, coming up with the, the marketing campaign, um, contacting media, and all of that. 
And then now what we're seeing more and more is, is, is what's called a service deal, which, like I said, is, is kind of a hybrid of the two. And in a service deal, what happens is you pay, you pay a distributor basically to, to help you distribute your film. And you know, some of the big service companies out there now are roadside attractions, um, truly indie, uh, freestyle releasing, and uh, we're starting to really see a proliferation of this model. And, and uh, that is something that I would explore. Uh, for instance, there's a movie out, on the, out in theaters right now that was a Sundance favorite called Winner's Bone. And uh, Roadside Attractions is distributing them right now. And uh, last time I checked, you know, they're, they're, the, the, the movie says it was budgeted at $2 million. Uh, last time I checked, they'd done about $4.5 million uh, in U.S. box office. Uh, through what looks like a service deal. So, uh, you know, service deals are having some success. Um, and, in fact, uh, New Market, which was Bob Bernie's company, uh, I think it was a service deal in theory for uh, Passion of Christ and um, for Monster and um, maybe even Memento back in the day. Um, so, uh, but the thing with the service deal is it is costly. I mean, you're going to have to either go back to your investors and raise more money if that's something you're you want to do, or you can do what we're uh, doing on my new film, which is you know go ahead and create a line item in your budget that sets aside a certain portion of money uh, should you need to do a service deal, and then then it just comes down to you got to have the discipline to not touch that money all through uh, production and post production. Um, but you know that's certainly something I would explore in the future. Uh, other things I learned, you know, one. Uh, one mistake I feel like we made is we didn't cut a trailer uh, when we were editing the film, and we didn't have a trailer out out there until about two years after uh, the film was done, and I, I think that was a big mistake. Uh, you know, I've said in the past I'm not a big trailer person. I just never have been, but I, I now realize there's a huge uh, percentage of people out there that decide what they're going to see based on the trailer, and, um, you know, that's something we just I, – I didn't know better – uh, at the time to, to, to create it, and you know, I think it would have helped uh, during our whole festival run and leading into our, our, our self-distribution run to have had a trailer up earlier. Um, I mean, those are the big things, I guess, off the top of my head. Well, let me take a moment just to say, and this is for the Movie Beat listeners, uh, that we do on the show cover th- th- things like this in, in terms of distribution, self-distribution, hybrid distribution. And uh, and you might want to go back and check their shows with Peter Broderick, who's a distribution strategist. Uh, you're going to want to listen to him. Orly Ravid of the Film Collaborative. Uh, John Reese wrote uh, Think Outside the Box Office. Sherry Candler's in Marketing and PR. Um, and John... Keys, who I mentioned uh, was coming up. We he has his he's a, a film producer and director, and they've started their own distribution company, and they're and they are distributing movies now. And so our last interview also with John was on distribution. He'll come back and talk more on that. Mark Heidelberger is a, is a gentleman who produced a movie. I think it was called Man Overboard. If, if the correct title escapes me, um, was a comedy feature that he did uh, in the past year or two, and they decided to self-release. And so you might want to go back and listen to some of these interviews and and uh, and and hear what these others have to say, along with what Jeffrey has had to say, um, because there's a there's, I, my thinking, Jeffrey is and and to the listeners is that it's kind of like you have a handful of confetti and you've thrown it in the air, and that's kind of the current state of things and, and not everything is settled yet. We haven't we haven't landed on the other side to know exactly how things are all gonna you know uh, sort themselves out for the future and so there's there's 
there's this kind of influx state of, of distribution for indies and the, and the tentpole pictures for the majors and stuff like that. And, and, and ultimately, whether it ever sorts out or not, I don't, I don't even know. But uh, so when it comes to this new movie, uh, I like the fact, again, you know, it is, and again, to the listener and to anyone paying attention, um, the idea of building into your pre-production things that you need for your post-production. Um, John Reese is a heavy advocate of marketing and, and PR, you know, having a budget and a person set aside for your, for, for your social networking campaign way in the beginning, um, as are other people uh, proponents of this. And, and Jeffrey, you know, you, you're, you, you know, you said, you know, we, we've got a theatrical run line item built into the budget. We're going to have, a, you know, a service deal uh, line item put in. I think any time that you can, uh, there's a saying. It's a it's a it's a saying that uh, success is the crossroad where luck and preparation meet. And so, obviously, the more prepared you can be, uh, the better opportunity you can take, the better advantage you can take of when you're lucky, you know, to be successful. But it all but it all comes in careful planning. And um, and 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 in in talking with you over the course of these three interviews, that's that is one thing that I am and am duly impressed about, or or singularly impressed about, is is the amount of, of foresight, forethought that you put into uh, making your pictures and, and doing your products projects. Well, thank you, and I just want to um, I just want to say, you know, I John John Reese, who I know you you've had on your show. I think that's how I came across your show in the first place. John does. Um, Director consultations um, for uh, dis- distribution and self-distribution, and I actually paid John to consult me um, before we started our self-distribution run. So John and I have a relationship. Um, he's, to me, one of the most knowledgeable and important people um, in terms of thinking about where independent film is headed uh, in this new era of distribution. Also. Peter Broderick is someone who is kind of a godfather for everyone um, looking at where we're going. I um, uh, just want to mention Ted Hope, too, um, yeah, and yeah, his, yeah. his website, uh, Truly Free Film, if anyone's trying to uh, understand where we're headed. Um, all those people, I think, um, you know, have 10 times, 100 times, 1,000 times as much knowledge as I do, but we're all helpful in helping me kind of uh, figure out what to do with with my film, um, and I mean I completely agree with you, Rex. I mean I think we're in an interesting era for era era uh, for independent film. I, I think things are changing, um, you know, maybe for the better, maybe for the worse. I don't know, and I don't think uh, anyone knows exactly what the solution is. But um, you know, I do think right now, um, not to scare people off, but just to give people kind of a realistic. Uh, sound bite or statistic on where things are right now with independent film. Uh, I would confidently say um, less than 10% of independent films made right now in this country even make their money back. Um, so just to give people a sense, um, you know, that's something that actually you know is kind of humbling with for me with Lullaby. Is I honestly thought going into Lullaby that you know if I made a movie that was even 65 to 70% as good as as what we ended up making that we would have no problem at the very least making our money back and you know we we might even make some money and you know I'm just surprised I guess as I move forward how hard it is simply to make your money back um not to make money but even just to make your money back um and just you know just want to kind of put that out there for people to understand and at least to to know 
Yeah, absolutely. And 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 I, I would offer this as I know you do. You know, you you've got to be passionate about what you do. You I listen to my interview with Paul Provenza. I, I really if you're an artist, a filmmaker, a performer, you know, in front of or behind the camera, my recent I've done two with Paul, he's he's wonderful, but the, the recent one was just done a few days ago. Um, listen to that and because and, he talks about, you know, a love and a passion for doing what we're doing and, and sticking with it, you know, if that's if that's what you want to do, you know, for your lifetime then you know, and and he has some good stories and things that that you're going to want to hear. Um, I think that it's imp, it's imp, imperative today to 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 decide up front. You know, this is what I want to do, and I'll do it. And if I don't make money at it at first, you know, I will continue it. I, I think you you either have an exit strategy or you don't. And I'm not. I'm not at the point of where I want to discuss an exit strategy for getting out of the business, but you got to realize that you know it's a tremendously difficult business and and few people can make it but you can make it you know in other words i think that when when all is said and done it's kind of like when the smoke clears the last person standing is the one that's invited in and and it's the same thing with filmmaking it's the people who continue and continue and continue seemingly against all odds who ultimately break through um i said to somebody the other day i think in private i said when it comes to first time filmmakers you know everybody they 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 have no budget they typically and, and you know unlike you you raised you know a significant budget but a lot of people have no budget to speak of they make a movie uh it's their baby it's their project they don't want to sell it maybe they couldn't uh they film it they shoot it then they end up with you know two hours or three hours or four hours of film and then they can't cut it down to a reasonable length for a commercial market because they think that everything has to be there and they don't they they can't afford to or they haven't thought about it to get an editor to edit it for them someone who understands the, the and I'm not saying that editors haven't screwed up movies or the producers you know who who sh- I believe should retain final cut haven't screwed up uh, uh, movies as well when it goes to market I, I believe they should retain it in in most instances let me put it that way let me clarify that um, but especially with first-time filmmakers because we assume that the first-time filmmaker or, or the or the new filmmaker you know they do everything you know they direct they write they shoot they they edit and then they try and market and they're and they're a first-timer you know and if they get anywhere with that God, more power to them. You know what I mean? I mean, if they can get it, if they can get some people to see it, even if it's not a financial success, they've done an incredible thing. And if they can do a second one and a third one and a fourth one, they'll learn as we learn, hopefully by experience. They'll change things. They'll figure out what they need to do to be more commercial as a success, if that's what they so desire. Um, you know, but it's it, they're, you know, it, it's learning in the trenches, unfortunately, and that can be very costly. And um, and And so, again, you know, I'm not sure that the first-time filmmaker, you you excluded Jeffrey. I want to point that out, but I mean, saying I, I I'm not sure that the first-time filmmaker is wisest when they rely on themselves. They need to rely on others. And you said, you know, you spoke with John Reese, or you listened to Peter Broderick, or Ted Hope, who's been a guest on the show. I mean, in other words, you got to get. That's why we're doing this show, you know. And that's why Jeffrey's talking about this, and why we talk about it, is so that you can learn from others uh, about the pitfalls and about what you need to do for success and what you need to do in order to. To, to to hang in there and make it because I believe you can make it I believe you can try it I think you know and the smarter you can work and the and smarter you can be about your work uh, the the more uh, potential you have for increasing the likelihood of success and now I'm stepping off my soapbox sorry about that Jeff <laughs> Jeffrey I apologize <laughs> but I, but I really do I you know I I think in other words there are people out there who have done it before who know it 
can and should be done, and they don't always make the best decisions. And so somebody who's never done it before, uh, a lightning can strike, and it can be a, a, you know, a meteoric, meteoric success, but it's, it's not likely either. And so a, a good blend of common sense and, uh, and the willingness to listen to other people. I, I've been around a number of filmmakers recently. They've all made their projects. They're not, probably, they're, the, the likelihood of them going anywhere is reduced by their own unwillingness to consider what they might need to do in order to get it marketed. If that makes any sense, and I think, and I think people think that they're being, you know, they are having some kind of integrity if they stick to their guns, when in fact, they're just kind of being stubborn about something, you know, like a like a kid going, I'm not brushing my teeth. Any of that make sense at all? Yeah, absolutely. No, I agree with it all, and uh, I don't know how much time we have, but I was just going to say. A couple of minutes. Uh, how much? Go ahead. Go for it. Go go for it. Oh, I was just going to say, yeah, I mean, I completely agree with everything you're saying. Um, you know, I've always said, you know, if you have a plan B, um, you should go ahead and take it because if you have a plan B in this career, probably at some point um, it's so difficult and so challenging, so full of so many ups and downs, you're going to you're gonna want to you're gonna want to exit anyway. So I think the only reason I've even gotten to this point um, is because I never really had a plan B. And so I completely agree with you there. And, I mean, just another thing I was going to say is, I used to sell uh, bookcases uh, in Los Angeles. I think I talked about that on one of our yeah. parts. And uh, these bookcases had shelves that you couldn't move. I mean, they were built in. And I've always thought of uh, a filmmaker's career as you start out, you're on that bottom shelf. But, you know, once you make a film, you're on that, that next level up. And no one can ever take that away from you. And so each time you do things in your career, it's like you're higher up. And on each level, there are fewer people. And so if you can keep going... You keep getting to these levels, and all of a sudden, you know, you're on this level where there are very few people, and you know, hopefully, you stand out, and you, you're you're a professional, and you've got a career. Absolutely, absolutely, and I do believe this, and I think it was Paul that said it. You know, Hollywood is not a meritocracy. In other words, they don't really care, you know, necessarily how good you are or what you've done, and it doesn't necessarily get you further. Although, having said that, I do firmly believe that Hollywood absolutely respects people who have done it. They're the people who talk about it, and they're people who are who have done it. And whether a first movie makes money or not, or is you know uh, financially successful or not, uh, is not nearly as important as having completed it and and having it because it is it's a calling card, it's an entry point. You can always say, "Here's my picture." They can look at it. They know you've done it. They know they and they know what it took for you to do it. Mm -hmm. You know, and so there is I completely great agree with that. There is great respect for having accomplished. Uh, the first project or the tenth project, but it, you know, but so 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 make your dreams happen and do the work. And then, as as my friend Andrew Stevens has always said, he says you got to do your diligence. You know, you have to do your due diligence, and that is you do your research and you do your marketing research and you do your production research and you do all this kind of stuff, and then you go ahead and make your movie. You know, and then yeah, you know, you've done it as smart as you can. It's it's what you have pointed out, Jeffrey. And then and then you know, and then it's. It's in other people's hands as well. It's in the it's, it's, the spade is kind of in the universe. But you do everything that you can, you know, to ensure that it's it, you you you're uh, as close to the mark as you can possibly be for what you want to accomplish. And I and I don't I don't think most people can do more than that. I completely agree. You have been fabulous, and you have been fascinating, and you've been chock full of information again. And you know, and I always enjoy talking with you, and I learn so much. And and I appreciate your candor and how, you know, you are open 
to being asked just anything and uh, and that you answer honestly. So I, I, I appreciate that so much. We're going to have Jeffrey back for more conversations. I'll let you know when that's going to happen. Right, Jeffrey? Absolutely. Would love to. All right. And uh, and at some point you'll catch us up on what you're doing with Peril, the new movie, and and how that's going. And but we'll wait for your lead on those on those updates. Uh, we can talk more about you know independent film and the festivals. And, and I still want to ask you more about producing. And and I've got a ton more. And people can always ask questions of guests like Jeffrey in the chat room, or they can email in advance. Uh, by uh, putting, for example, Jeffrey's name in the subject header and the questions in the body and using my contact information at rexsykes.com. I'm going to fire those off, and then the next time we have Jeffrey or any other guest on the show and you have a question for, uh, that we can ask those on the air. Again, Jeffrey, thank you so much. Thank you, Rex. I love doing the show and um, appreciate that you're out there doing this. Uh, and, and, and right back at you. Right back at you. I appreciate that you're here and that you're doing what you're doing. Again, I love Last Lullaby. Where can, can people buy Last Lullaby right now? How do they get it? The only way they can get it is it's off the film's website. So if they go to www.thelastlullaby.com, it's available as a first-run DVD. You'll just see right on at the very top of the home page, click here to buy a DVD. You know what? I'm going to go want to ask you about that kind of thing when we come back. Talk a little bit more about the the sale of the, the the DVD off of the website and 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 some questions I would have for you about that too. Alrighty. Yeah, I would love to talk about that, and would love to come back and um, appreciate again you having me. Always always fun to be here. All right, likewise. But more power to you. Uh, we'll be talking soon. Thanks so much. Thanks, Rex. Mr. Jeffrey Goodman, I want to thank him uh, for being here again. Go back, listen to the other two interviews as well. Uh, just absolutely chock full of, of good, useful, applicable information um, that you can immediately put into use. And uh, I want to thank you, the listeners and readers of Movie Beat. We've got so many more exciting guests coming up in the near future. Please do. Uh, leave comments if you like today's show. Uh, make it a friend. Make it a favorite right there at the website. If uh, you're listening to this as a podcast from iTunes, go ahead, rate and review the shows. Tweet about it. If you heard the show today, you know you can get on my wall, you can get on your walls on Facebook, and you can say, hey, you know, I listened to the show. It was great. Here's the link to it, and, uh, and share it that way. Or get on Twitter and say, hey, you got to hear this interview that just occurred, and uh, here's the link to the podcast or here's the link to the archive show. Uh, my guest and I would certainly appreciate it when you do that. Again, you can become a member of the Rex Sykes Movie Beat Facebook group by clicking on the group link at my profile page, or you can search out Rex Sykes Movie Beat Friends. And the Twitter address to follow me is Rex Sykes Movie BT, R-E-X-S-I-K-E-S-M-O-V-I-E-B-T. That last part is abbreviated. All right, everybody, have a fabulous day. Make your movies. Complete your projects. Roberta Monroe is coming up in just about 25 minutes, so come on back. Stay tuned. Chat room will be open. And until we meet the next time, that is a wrap. Hey, Roberta. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Okay, so just a reminder, if you hear a dial tone or you feel that you've been cut off or a busy signal, just dial back in. If I don't yes, respond to, to you, line. and if, huh? 
And yeah, and to the back to the trunk line. And if you don't respond, then I just keep talking until you come back. Just keep telling you now, the, the, me not responding also, today is one of those crazy days where people are trying to get my attention. I may have to deal with something. If I do, I may also go away. I will try to listen while I'm away, but uh, if, if that should happen again, just keep talking. Okay. All right. All right. Um, fantastic. Now, you should know that I got the book the other day, and I don't have it in front of me. Somebody grabbed it from me and took it to read it. And another person, another person bought it after recommending it last week to them at a dinner party, and he loves your book. And so last night we watched The Youth in Us. Is that the name of the short? Yes, Joshua Leonard. Yep. He said, "Oh, here you've got to check this out." And we went into his, in his you know, home theater and watched the the short because he's like, "This is what Roberta was talking about." And I'm like, "Oh, how cool!" Yeah, it's pretty cool, right? I'm just like. Um I have to go pee, Rex. <laughs> I have, like, drove, like, a banshee that's all fine. the way. <laughs> well, that's okay. You go we have that. a few minutes, right? Well, we're on, yeah, we're on together. We've got about a minute before we go live, but uh, I will uh-huh. be muting you. Be your intro. You'll yeah. be, uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put you on mute so you can pee in privacy, and, uh, okay. and then I'll be bringing you on in a few minutes. Okay, great. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, um, no, I just I was I was going pee when I when I call, when I was when you came onto the line. So I just wanted to, like she's gonna hear the toilet flush. So okay. <laughs> I wanted to let you know that. Go but on. I'm ready um, when you are. Okay. Well, I got. I'm gonna in a few seconds. I'm going to be uh, muting you, and you'll hear okay. everything, but but you won't be heard. Okay. Perfect. All right. So now I've got to put you on mute. All right. Okay. I'll talk to you soon. Yep. All right. Cool. So you should be able to hear everything, and we're going to be going live in in just under a minute or so. And uh, I'm just, I am having I I normally have two computers, and one of them is down, and this one is operating very slowly, so it's it's driving driving me very crazy. Uh, but yes, about a minute, and hopefully Sherry or somebody is continuing to tweet for us. And I'm going to open the chat room about 30 seconds. About 10 seconds. Welcome to Rex Sykes Movie Beat. That's very strange. We don't know what's going on. I don't have uh, any signal that the show is actually happening. It says it's live, but it is not streaming. 
I've never encountered this before. I'm going to assume that the show is uh, occurring. Let me say welcome to Rex Sykes Movie Beat Conversations with Filmmakers, where we discuss film and everything television. Let me check with the chat room, make sure that the, if the people in the chat room can hear this, then uh, we'll know that we're on. Can someone answer me now? And if so, we'll begin, officially, at some point. No one can hear me, so what I've got to do, apparently, is uh, cancel the show and start over. So, Roberta, I'm going to have you call back in just a second or two. Let me see what I can do. It's going to take about five or ten minutes to do this. We'll come back in, in say, 15 minutes to begin. All right, hang on. <laughs> 